Hello and welcome to another episode of Wind and Waves Surf Talk. Today we've got uh, Phil Saltsiak, who is a 24-year-old professional windsurfer from Toronto, Canada, who finished fifth in the year this year in the freestyle category. Phil rides for Starboard and Sailworks as his board and sail sponsor, and he is one of the very few North Americans uh, competing on the PWA World Tour which predominantly takes place in Europe uh, from the months of May to October. We get to hear about his early years sailing with his brothers and building a passion for windsurfing that ultimately leads him to the decision to turn pro. He won the Male Windsurf Athlete of the Year last year from the Association of Wind and Water Sport Industries, and this year just had his best career finish, placing fifth overall. He's a super friendly guy who loves to share the soak of windsurfing uh, with everyone he sails with. I know I'd be psyched to get out and sail with this guy as he seems like the kind of person who raises the level of fun anywhere he goes. As a windsurfer who mostly sails in Vermont on Lake Champlain, I can truly appreciate the dedication and time it takes to make it to the world stage from a cold weather environment. Thank you, Phil, for joining us today. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Good morning. How you doing? Good morning. How are you? Good, good. Good. Hey, thanks for doing this. snow this morning. You do? Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. My friend asked me if I wanted to go sailing. I said, oh, I don't know, man. It's <laughs> a little cold. Well, it's been like, I think we get the same weather as you. I mean, it's been like three or four days of steady, strong north winds. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah I, and I it's in the temp- uh, Go ahead. Oh, yeah, and the temperature, I mean, the temperature here has dropped dramatically. Like, I think we oh, yeah. saw the the door of summer slam shut, and now we're, we're fully we're fully bracing for winter. We had, like, little snow flurries the other day. I think there was 10 inches of snow on Mount Mansfield this weekend. So <laughs> it's happening. Yeah, but I think this weekend the, the warm weather's coming back with a bit of wind on Saturday, at least around here. Good. I mean, that's what we need, right? We gotta like prolong. It, there has to be a transition to, for these yeah. seasons. You gotta be able to. It can't just be. It can't just be over and done. We need to have like sort of a, a graceful transition where we get a little bit of cold to remind us that it's coming, and then uh, exactly. sprinkle in a few more warm days so we can get in like a few more nice, comfortable days on the water before it, it gets it cold. If it wasn't getting cold, it would never be windy, right? Yeah, that's true. Well, hey, thanks for taking the time to talk to us this morning. Uh, really yeah. appreciate it. Um, I thought we'd get started by uh, um, we have a couple of questions for you that we'd love to talk about. And we, we really want to get your impressions of um, being uh, being on the on the PWA World Tour and what that's all about. And uh, before we get into that, I thought it'd be nice to just kind of um, start with kind of your beginnings, like where you grew up and how you got into windsurfing and and basically where all that passion came from. Yeah, well, my uh, my family always went camping up on uh, on Georgian Bay. It's uh, it's a bay part of Lake Huron here on the Great Lakes. And uh, my parents had the original windsurfers, so they had like the you know the big the big long white board and the and the deck on sail, and, the, and they used to windsurf on that. And uh, well, we went camping there every summer, and they would go windsurfing. And when I was around uh, 10 years old, um, we got uh, our mom 
sold us a little uh, a little sale, a little green sale out of uh, camping park. And we put a kids' rig mask and boom in that. And uh, that's that's the gear that I was using to start windsurfing. And I did that with my brothers. I have uh, a brother that's a year older and one that's a year younger. And uh, we got into it like that. And yeah, over the years, um, well, I guess that summer I actually got fully hooked on it. And uh, and it was it was a great place to do it because not only was I there able to interpret my brothers, but there was also a few other kids around the same age as us who who also got into it. So every summer we would go up there and we would see the same friends. And on the windy days go windsurf, and on the non-windy days we would go maybe sailing or paddling or play beach volleyball or just hang out around the campfire and party. And uh, I always wanted to. I always wanted to take windsurfing further to, to go to competitions and and my my dream and my goal was to be a professional windsurfer. And uh, yeah, it, it all went step by step. So I, I started doing some competitions around the Ontario area which which were mostly light wind racing, but I think I really learned a lot from that from from racing in, in light winds and then I got some, some formula gear like a big when I was, I think I was 15 or 16, I had like an eight and a half meter sail, and then later on upgraded to like a 10.4 meter sail. So I did some formula racing, yeah. and uh, yeah, as I as I did the racing on the side, I was also in high winds. I was uh, trying to get into freestyle, and and there was one year, I think it was 2000, 2004 or 2005. I said, you know what, I don't want to do this. Uh, the big 10 meter racing anymore. I wanna. I just wanna do freestyle all the time. And uh, of course, for that you need you need more wind. But uh, I did a trip with my brothers. We did a road trip out to out to the west coast of Canada. So we drove four days. We packed up our parents' minivan and trailer after at the end of uh, at the end of uh, one of our high school years. And uh, our parents let us borrow the van for the that's whole time. That's always awesome. <laughs> yeah. And uh, off we went to uh, we went uh, to Vancouver Island first. We spent three weeks in Vancouver Island uh, on Nitnat Lake, and uh, I progressed there. I learned some tricks, and then we went down the Oregon coast, did some wave sailing there, then stopped in the gorge for a few days. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I think that was a trip that really uh, that really got my sailing up to a level where where I thought, okay, you know what, maybe it's Maybe it's possible. Maybe there is a slight chance I can be a pro windsurfer. So and, wait, was uh, this was this trip sort of um, kind of did this trip come about based on your decision to sort of switch to freestyle from racing? Is that what you're saying? No, no. This trip came about just from um, the adventurous nature of uh, my brothers and me, and uh, we always went on road trips, and and the the goal was always to go windsurfing or or skiing, or yeah, we just we just love doing sports and love camping and traveling around. So it was it was a pretty it, it was a normal idea to be like yeah let's let's pack everything up and go go camping on the, on a remote lake on Vancouver Island and see if we can live every day. It just seemed like the right thing to do at that age and time. Oh, of course, you know, no yeah. better time like when you're young like that and you have you know and you have access yeah. to your parents' van. Why wouldn't you just like drive across country, go hang yeah, out in Vancouver for a while? <laughs> yeah, it, just, it, seems, it seems like the right thing to do. So and how long uh, were you guys, How long were you gone for? 
Um, it was, I think it was around like a five-week trip that we did. Okay. So five weeks that we spent on the West Coast, and of course, there was like four days or five days of driving to get there and drive back. So it was pretty much the entire summer. So you saw that much improvement, though, in just in those five weeks? I learned, uh, I went from being able to land a, a Vulcan uh, just on one pack, or the air drive, as some people call it, and, uh, and I started to learn the Vulcan and Spock on, on the other pack, because in surfing, it's, it's not right. the same, it's able to run one way versus the other way. Yeah. yeah, got it. Okay. And then uh, tell us, so, yeah, and that's always important too, right? Because everyone has sort of their favorite side. Um, yeah. A little bit like surfing, right? It's like left foot forward versus right foot forward. And then yeah. in windsurfing, particularly wave sailing, right? People are more comfortable either port tack or starboard tack. Yeah, everybody's got uh, got a more comfortable tack for either for tacking or for diving. Or, and the same applies to tricks. I, I even have it now that I, I prefer to do certain tricks in one tack than the other. It just uh, it, it just always feels more natural one way than the other. Right, right. I think the same is true with like almost any other kind of board sport. But um, just quick, quick question about that. Um, when you in in like wave sailing events, you know, like like we talked to Sam Bittner from the AWT. We asked her, you know, when they pick uh, destinations to hold those events, whether they think about you know evening the playing field by kind of uh, selecting destinations that are both. You know, left foot forward and right foot forward, or at least having a balance in the in the year long tour where they they have you know a, an even split of rights and lefts, you know, so that so that people have an opportunity to either ride port side or starboard side, and, and they don't play to one one favorite side. Yeah. How does that work? Yeah, for, how does that work for you? Um, well, I I try to be ready for any type of conditions, so. Um, you know, some contests are, of course, wins from the left, or some are wins from the right. But, um, but the key is just to be ready for anything. So when I when I do learn a new trick, my goal is always to learn it. Being if I if I learn it on starboard tack, so same with right hand forward, my goal is also to learn it next with, with my left hand forward and, and on port tack. And uh, I I find not only is that good for competing, but it's also way more fun when you go sailing at, uh, at various spots because you can you can do your favorite moves no matter what the conditions. You know, you can show up at a beach and whether the wind and waves are coming from the left or from the right, you can do your favorite tricks and, and the most impressive tricks that you want to do no matter what the conditions. You're not you're not really being held back. So it's it's really fun to be able to do everything both ways. Yeah, I mean I think that's what separates, you know, the the top performing professionals from from those who aren't, right? I mean, you got to be you got to be well rounded, and and you got to have the skill set to demonstrate that it really doesn't matter which side you're on. Yeah, exactly. That that does make a big difference in in competition because you can go, you can fly to Germany like uh, for the last PW World Tour stuff we just had, and you don't right. know if the wind's going to be from the left or from the right. You just you know you wake up in the morning and and there's wind. Right. You go down to the beach and you, you see what it is, and there you go. You got to go compete against the best guys in the world. In, in the wind and waves that there are, nobody's going to wait for them to change. <laughs> right, right. Um, and tell us, so you, you mentioned uh, your brother. So tell us a little bit about, um, so how many how many brothers do you have and where are you in, in sort of the age range? Um, I have two brothers. So one 
my older brother's name is Kuba, and he's uh, he's a year older than me. And uh, so I'm 29, he's 30, and I have a younger brother. Um, his name is Tom, and he also interests a lot, and uh, he's one year younger than me. Now, are, are so those guys, are Kuba and Tom, are they competing as well? Uh, no, Kuba's, uh, Kuba's got like a real job, he lives downtown Toronto, and, uh, and Tom is, uh, he runs some, uh, he actually he did some American windsurfing tour competitions, he competed in the, in the amateur right. field, and I think he did pretty well, like he, he finished on the podium a few times, so, okay. yeah, so. So he's he an up-and-comer. Um, yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> I mean, uh, in the windsurfing world, at this age, I don't think he's going to be an up and comer, but he's definitely a really good sailor. He's, uh, he likes to do his cheese rolls. He likes to do his uh, endo forward loops. I think those are his uh, his trademark moves. And in freestyle, he can he can throw down a, a spot, a grubby, in the in the flat up from time to time. Oh, and he he learned the shaka in the last couple of years, so he's definitely a, a good sailor, especially for for somebody coming from from Canada. And do they so? Does Tom or Cooper do they do they travel with you at all? Do they go to events with you? Um, Tom travels with me pretty often actually. He's actually I think Tom spends more time windsurfing than me because he doesn't he does not go to these events. So you know when I go to an event I have to I have to go home, pack, travel, unpack, wait for wind at the event, maybe sail, you know, a few heats one day, a few heats another day, pack up, go to another event. So I spend a lot of time packing and traveling and waiting for wind. But uh, as we're doing this interview now, my my younger brother Tom is he's in Brazil and he's windsurfing right now. So really, uh, yeah. Wow, so he's, he's windsurfing quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, he's living the dream, isn't he? He's in Brazil right now. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. And he's gonna stay there until the end of December, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna head down there on Sunday also. You're go okay. So are you are you going to Maui at all for the Aloha Classic? No, I'm not going to Maui. I was in Maui a bit in the, in the spring for two weeks for the Starboard photo shoot. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's enough Maui for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, let's talk a little bit about Starboard. So how did you, how did you, um, how did you get connected with them as, as your, as your board sponsor? Um, Starboard, I was riding with Starboard for many, many years now. Um, I don't remember who, somebody, I, I used to be kind of like a discount sponsored rider with Starboard when uh, when I was doing the formula racing, so I was with them in those days too, and then uh, as I progressed into freestyle, they uh, they started supporting me more and more and, and helping me out with, with some gear and some and some travels and stuff so I could, so I could start competing on the, on the PWA. So it was kind of a, it wasn't really... Like a you know, bam, you're fully sponsored. It was, it was a progression, and uh, and it's, it's they're a great brand. They're great people to work with. The the guys in Thailand, like Stan and Kesda, are are really easy to communicate with, and, and I think they run a really a really good company there. And okay. uh, of course, I have a lot of contact with the uh, North American distributors, Pride and Sports. Right. So with Declan and Ken, and right now there's uh, Josh, who's uh, Who's doing the windsurfing sales and he's doing surfing rep. And right. they're also great guys and, and I see them every year depending on depending on where they are and where I am. But uh, we always meet up and 
if we can, we go windsurfing together. And, uh, and yeah, they, they've been supporting me since the beginning of my career. Well, they're a good group. I mean, we know, obviously, we know those guys well. We know the Trident crew really well. Um, I think everyone in that office pretty much windsurfs. I think that was like, I think that's one of the criteria almost to work there is they have to come from a windsurfing background almost. I mean, even decorating. Yeah, yeah, that makes a big difference. You know, if the, if the people you're, you're dealing with are windsurfers and they have the same, the same frame of mind as you, they have the same, uh, they have the same goals and, and they understand you when you, when you just want to windsurf all the time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they get it. You know, the wind starts blowing and everyone's looking out the window and, and they're trying to get a sense of how much wind there is and maybe yeah, they should, maybe they should... they'll never understand that. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, well, when you made the, when you made the decision to go to freestyle from race, um, what, what was, what kind of led you to make that decision? Um, it wasn't really, uh, I don't really know what the deciding factor was, but, but it was just something that I wanted to do, and uh, I, I wanted to do freestyle. I, I just thought it was cooler and more fun. Right. So, so I wanted to, to dedicate my time to, to doing the freestyle. And That's do you good. get so? It, and so I'm I'm assuming you spend most of your time at home in Toronto. Is that right? Um, I do not spend much of my time at home in Toronto. No. Oh, where? Okay, so where where is home? Uh, well, home is yeah, home is Toronto, but uh, I'm traveling the whole year, so I'm uh, I probably spend about maybe four weeks at home per year on average, something like that. Wow. So yeah, I I come here between trips, uh, and uh, but most of the time I'm I'm living somewhere where I can reserve really all the time. So this year, if I can tell you what I did from January, I was in January I was in Venezuela. Uh, I spent uh, about two or three months there. I was windsurfing the whole time. Wow. Um, then I went to uh, then I went to Maui for two weeks. And uh, after Maui, I was in Cape Hatteras in North Carolina, where where we met briefly there. Yes. In, uh, in at the April. food line. Yes, at the food line. <laughs> yeah, we saw you at the food line. I think you were in the Entenmann's <laughs> aisle. <laughs> I know that's where I was. <laughs> and then. Uh, yeah, after Cape Hatteras, I went straight to uh, to Austria for the first PWA stop, for the first World Tour stop of the year. Um, right. And that's that? kind of when the that's when the PWA season starts, right? Yeah, that's when the PWA season starts. And uh, I, after Austria, I came home for I think it was one night because I flew straight to Texas for the U.S. Nationals in Corpus Christi. And uh, from there, I just continued doing some U.S. events. So I went to the uh, to the Rio Vista event in uh, in Rio Vista near near San Francisco. Um, I did a few slalom races in the in the Bay Area. I did a trip up the uh, up the coast of California and Oregon with uh, with a friend of mine in a in a camper van. And you can read about that trip in the latest Insurance Now issue. Oh, great. Um, I did the AWT in, in Pistol River. Yep. And then I went up to the gorge and did the uh, the gorge beach bash. So I did a whole bunch of North American events, one after the other there, and combined that with a little trip for for Windsurfing Now magazine. And uh, yeah, and once those events were all were all finished up uh, up in the Hood River there, it was uh, the end of June, beginning of July, and I flew straight from Portland to Puerto Ventura, Spain, to go. Uh, 
to go warm up for the next World Tour stop, which which is in Spain every summer there in July. Right. So I spent three weeks there to uh, training and uh, just sailing with a uh, with a couple of the other pro surfers there. I, I was living with uh, Stephen and Mento, both Belgians who I travel with pretty often, and uh, we did the contest there at the end of July. Uh, and then I did then I did spend uh, a few days at home. But uh, I had a week planned to stay at home. But as soon as I arrived, my brothers whisked me away, and we went uh, we went camping there where I learned to windsurf. So my my week at home was spent camping up on the, on Jordan Bay, and unfortunately there was no wind. But we had a great time hanging out, uh, meeting up with old friends, and playing volleyball on the beach. And then I was I was home for a day after camping, and straight back to Hood River. And uh, spent a month in Hood River, just uh, just windsurfing mostly. I, I didn't do much. Uh, we didn't do so much gear testing um, as we did some other summers, but uh, it was great. We had great wind, great conditions, and uh, a ton of fun. And uh, I went kayaking with Dale Cook a few times on the non-windy days, and played some tennis with some friends there too on the non-windy days. And besides that, just spent countless hours on the water and. Uh, and having a good time and trying to get better and better. That's then, the dream. Uh, yeah, that's that's the dream. That's that's uh that's going, my dream and that's, that's going wherever it's windy. Yeah, just traveling wherever the wind is. No, that sounds awesome. And it's a lot of Pacific Northwest stuff and West Coast and, and Yeah, there um, are so many great places to go in North America. It's you know, uh windsurfing's huge in Europe and it's a little bit smaller in North America, but, but North America has so many great spots. Like I went to Texas this year, Corpus Christi. Yeah. It's, it's windy almost every day there, and you know, it, and it's warm. It's the Gulf of Mexico. I think it's I think it's warm there all year long. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a popular spot. We were actually just looking at uh, Corpus Christi on the map yesterday, um, yeah. because you know there's this new wave garden pool in Austin. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we were we were actually trying to figure out how we could do like a little bit of a a surf and windsurf trip over there. Spend a little bit of time in Corpus Christi. We should combine it in uh, in May when they have the the competition in Corpus Christi. Yes. Well, yeah, and I and I got to imagine like when they when they're holding that competition, they're going to be in touch with um, the Enland. Yeah, it's the Enland Park. They're going to be in touch with the Enland guys, and I'm sure they're going to want to rent that rent out the, the the pool for a few days during the event. Oh yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's it's amazing. I don't know if you've seen the videos of it yet, but just the um, you know the size and scale of that project is really impressive, and the quality of the wave is is undeniably awesome, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see what it does from you know just a tourism standpoint, but and 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 also just you know the the value and and the the value of to Austin and the people who live in Austin and how how great you know, how, how much their lifestyle is going to change having the, a, a State-of-the-art, brand new, beautiful wave park, right in their in their town. Yeah. yeah. So we're excited to go over there and check it out. And while we're there, we definitely want to do some sailing on the Gulf. Nice. nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really good sailing there. It's uh, I definitely look forward to going back again next year. Awesome. Um, tell us a little bit about you. So yeah. So you started talking a little bit about how popular windsurfing is, obviously in Europe. Like mm-hmm. what? I mean. It's got to be night and day for you, right? When you go between North America and and then obviously back to Europe for PWA events. Um, yeah, it's a it's a whole different scale. 
you know, if, if you compare the events, the events in, in North America, you go to some of these AWP events, and it's it's really a small scale thing, you know. There's there's probably more competitors than spectators at those events. And then I just came back from from a contest in Germany where, right. you know, you have all the world's best riders first of all, and then you have and then you have two hundred thousand German spectators coming out over the ten day long event. It's Two hundred thousand. Wow. Two hundred thousand. Yeah, it's it's insane what's what's going on there, and and they're all crazy about windsurfing. The event huh. is the event is only windsurfing. That's that's why everybody comes out there. And that's in silt. That's in silt. Yeah, and and most of them are. I think most of them are are non windsurfers. They're just windsurfing fans. Really. Well, yeah. There can't be two hundred. Well, maybe there can, but I can't imagine there's two hundred thousand windsurfers, but. There's 200,000 people who, who want to come out and watch wind surfing. That's really yeah, impressive. Yeah, they, they come out and, you know, drink their wine, eat some fish, and watch us go in the water <laughs> and then 50 degrees in the wetsuits, and they love it. <laughs> they, they've got the lifestyle. They, they're doing it right, you know. We can learn a lot from, <laughs> yeah. like, the way that those guys are spending their time. No, that's the way to do it. Um, one of the things that was really interesting about Silt and one of the topics that have been really fun to talk about, um, especially lately, is the whole uh, foiling revolution. Oh yeah, and um, it was interesting to see a few interviews from some of the um, some of the slalom guys from Silt, and yeah. talk about the fact that um, you know one particular day of racing they didn't have enough wind to really hold a traditional race, but with mm-hmm. the foiling category just kind of coming into shape, they they all they all hooked into some foils and they actually ran an event on foils. And there was yeah, a couple, a couple of really interesting things, right? One was that, you know, these guys were talking about how some some riders have spent a lot of time on foils and others haven't. And there's this whole progression now, where if you want to if you want to compete on the foil, you've got to start spending time riding the foil. And it was evident um, from everyone who was watching, like kind of who would who would put in a lot of time and and who still has yet to put in a lot of time. But it's kind of fun to watch these guys who are professionals, you know, learning a new sport essentially. Yeah, there were uh, you could you could tell that there were some guys who were quite experienced, like you said. And uh, I even had a friend of mine, one of the freestylers, he he just got his foil, and he went out and did the race too. And uh, really? so yeah, it it was an exhibition event there, and uh, it was it was cool to see that in light wind they were just cruising along like that. Um, yeah, I don't know what the where where foiling is going to take going to going to go with windsurfing. Um, I think it's it's great for in terms of racing and light winds because you're you're up on the foil in, in winds that you would not be planning in. And uh, yeah, it, uh, it'll be interesting to see how far that's going to go. I know uh, when I spent a bit of time in the Bay Area, there was a lot of the guys there at the Crystal Field, just under the Golden Gate Bridge, there one of the sailing spots. A lot of them are into foiling there, and that's actually where one of the one of the biggest uh, foiling manufacturers is from. They, they're from the San Francisco area, F4 foils, and uh, and they've been testing those foils there every day. I was down at Chris Field, and I know Antoine Abo multiple times. Solomon Champion was was down there doing some development with them for. I'm not sure if it was for F4 or for Neopride, but but I do know that Neopride, which um, has the current Olympic RSX class. And they're they're producing the boards and moves for that. That they are working hard to develop a 
a foil specific, a foil and a foil specific board, where I think it's a convertible board between foil and normal planing board for the for future Olympic games. Wow, that's great. No, and I think it's going to do a lot also for, um, you know, I would hope that they, they're going to, I, I think, you know, hopefully they're going to design the foils in such a way that they're really kind of user friendly for even beginner and intermediate sailors. Because, yeah. you know, it, it, it's a, it's a great mechanism to, to reintroduce or reinvigorate a lot of sailors who pro- maybe don't sail as much anymore because they were frustrated yeah. with, you know, the amount of wind that was required to really get out and plane and, or maybe they live in areas that just don't see enough windy days, whereas maybe the foil could introduce them to a lot more water time, you know, and get them yeah. excited about windsurfing again, because now, you know, they can essentially use all the same gear, hopefully, right? And then essentially yeah. they just need to add a foil to their, you know, to their to their quiver, essentially. And yeah, it's definitely a novelty. So, so I think it'll get, it'll get windsurfers that are maybe, like you said, a little bit frustrated with, with perhaps uh, being at the beach with uh, a lot of lightning days, it'll get those people really hooked on it. It'll definitely catch their attention because on days where they would be previously sitting on the beach or or needing a 12 meter sail, they could be going out on a on a 7 meter sail on a foil and be cruising around cruising around on that. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I that seems like the dream. You know, it just it's more water time, right? So even in light wind conditions, that people can go out and be having fun, and and again, and they're learning something new. I think that really jazzes. Yeah, that's people. what we want, right? We want we want water time. Yeah, we want exactly. We need like more time to get out there, less time sitting on the beach, hoping and willing the wind to to get stronger, and just you know going out and having fun with whatever's there that day. Yeah. Um. We were there at Surf Expo uh, last September when you won um, Male Windsurf Windsurfer of the Year, and it was yeah. exciting to 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 see you get that award. And uh, obviously, we're all super excited for you. I think we had just met you, and we're like, "Oh my God, here's the guy that we just met who just won Windsurfer of the Year." <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. I was uh, Starboard invited me down to the Orlando Surf Expo, and and I, I guess they must have known that I was going to win the award if they invited me down. But, but uh, yeah, it was, it was really cool, and, uh, and there was a lot of a lot of great athletes who were also nominated for the award. So I was definitely stoked to to take that one home. Well, who? So who? How does how does that award work? Who does the voting for that? Um, I think it's part of the Association of Wind and Water Sport Industries. Yeah, I think they have a few. Industry members that vote on it, and uh, also the uh, Windsurfing Now magazine has a vote on it. Yeah, I'm not sure who else. Yeah, and they uh, they had just started. They had just kind of gotten started, actually. That magazine, I think, was in its first issue. You know, I think when yeah. that happened. Yeah, around then they were they were on their first issue, and there was it used to be Windsport, of course, and the editor of PPK um, just separated Windsport from from the parent company SPC Media and. And started with surfing now, so he's got his own magazine now. Uh, no, I mean, I yeah, it's, it's a great magazine. So, some windsurfers are listening to this and are not subscribers yet. Make sure you subscribe to Windsurfing Now. Oh, we get it, and it's it's encouraging to see somebody you know going out and actually um, launching a new magazine, particularly in windsurfing. Yeah, that's ambitious, and to do it from North America. Yeah, he's actually uh, Toronto-based. I'm I'm going right. to go have lunch with him in, in a couple hours, actually. 
Oh, okay, cool. Well, tell him, <laughs> tell me we're, we're applauding what he's done so far and to keep up the good work. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's actually one of the things we'd love to talk to you about is I, I, I think it would be really fun to get over to Toronto sometime. It sounds like, um, it's like throwing darts to try to catch you at home. So that might be a little <laughs> yeah. bit challenging. But, uh, it'd be really fun. Uh, if we stay in touch, it might be possible. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we can coordinate that. I, I bet we can make that happen. But, um, Tell us, I, I want to go back a little bit and just, cause, I, and, and I, this is where I was kind of, this is kind of where I was headed when I was talking about you kind of growing up in Toronto, but, um, tell us about what it's, tell us, give us a sense of the sailing conditions and wind turbine conditions in Toronto and knowing that, you know, you're in a colder climate area. I mean, we're in Burlington, Vermont, so we're not that far away from you guys and particularly in terms of temperatures. So the season can be really short, which is frustrating. And then in the summer, you know, we all deal with kind of these uh, high pressure days where there's not a lot of breeze. So you've got warm water, warm air temperature, but no wind. So it's got to be kind of challenging for you to, for someone like you to come out of an environment like that and and be able to be as successful as you've been. Well, the the lack of wind around the in the spring and summertime, especially, is is a great deal of uh, why I don't spend so much time in Toronto because I need to windsurf all the time, you know. I want to windsurf all the time, but it's also, now that it's, you know, I'm competing on the world tour, i got to keep my level up and keep improving. Right. The only way to do that is, is to be able to windsurf many, many times per week. And that's that doesn't happen even on the, maybe on a good week in the fall, it's, it's possible around the Great Lakes and around the Toronto area, but the problem, main problem we have in the springtime is that the lakes are really cold. So the cold water creates this doming effect where even when the, when it's warm enough to windsurf, the, the wind goes over the cold air of the right. lake. So there's like this, this bubble of cold air sitting over the lake and it doesn't actually get windy on the water. It's windy on the land because the land heats up but the water has this cold air bubble and we call that doming. So the wind domes over that cold air bubble. And uh, so that's a big problem we have in, in May and June, early on in the season. And then in the summer, like you said, it's it's beautiful. It's it's hot. It's sunny, and you know the temperature is great. It's it's uh, it can be just as hot as in the Caribbean, but but there's no wind because it's all high pressure systems, and uh, you got to be really lucky to score a good day of wind in the in the summer months. And then in September and October, of course, it's those are the best months for sailing around here. That's when you start getting these low pressures coming through and you're always looking for this, you know, southwest, west, and northwest winds. And then depending on, depending on the direction and the way the weather sets up, there can be a ton of great sailing if you go on Lake Erie to, to Shirts and Shores or, or Lake Ontario at Sandbanks. You can get great wave sailings and jumping there. Um, Lake Simcoe, Georgian Bay, Lake Huron, they all offer great conditions. And, and in the fall months, you can, you can definitely score quite a few days per week if you're willing to drive and chase that wind. Right. Okay. No, that makes sense. But, you know, even though we're sort of in the fall period now, your brother Tom is in Brazil. He's not in, in Toronto, yeah. right? So, you just know, to your point, you don't get enough days per week. And yeah, you don't get enough. That's to sort point. of maintain your skill set and keep progressing, you guys have got to be chasing the wind around the world. Yeah. So where, in your experience, where are some of the uh, most consistent, windiest places that you like to go? 
Um, by far the most consistent and windy is uh, is Brazil. So that's uh, Jericho Fora near Fortaleza, Brazil is uh, is by far the most consistent place. When I, when you're there in the fall, you never have to look at the wind forecast. You just uh, you never have to pack big sails. I I only pack. Uh, I will pack a 4.2 and a 4.5, and uh, maybe I'll take a 4.7 and 4.0 also just in case. But I can be with 4.2 and 4.5. I can spend three months there, sail every single day without checking the forecast, and those two sails will be enough to, to cover all the wind conditions I will get while I'm there. So there's there's no place like it when it comes to uh, consistency of, of windy days. Yeah, right, okay. Okay, yeah, I haven't been down there but obviously everyone knows about Jerry Caracoa and how popular that place is and how consistent it is. And yeah, I, I think that's why it's so popular because it's, you know, it, it'll never let you down. Right. Right. You can't get skunked there or, yeah. yeah, theoretically. How about the Caribbean? Have you spent any time in the Caribbean? Yeah. I spent some time in, uh, on Isla Margarita. I spent some time, a little bit of time in Bonaire. I've been to Aruba before and I've been on the, uh, Caribbean coast of Colombia also. So I've been to quite a few places in the Caribbean and um, my favorite spots in the Caribbean are, are Colombia and uh, Isla Margarita. And are, I mean, for for you as a freestyler, are you looking for predominantly like flat water areas? Or does it even matter? Um, no, it doesn't matter because we go out in uh, you can freestyle in any conditions. You don't... Uh, you don't need flat water. You don't need waves. You, you just take whatever you get and, and you go out on the water. So if you have if you have waves and waves and wind, you just it's you know it's tons of fun freestyling because you got the whole aspect of you know big air jumping and, and waves creating really really smooth water in front and behind them also. And uh, yeah, if it's just a choppy lake, it's great because you have all these little ramps. If it's flat water, you do uh, you can make some different style of tricks and you can. You're more flexible with the uh, move combinations because you're able to keep up your speed more, so you can land and pop right again into another move. So that's what I love about freestyle. We never have to wait for, you know, the if you're wave sailing, you always need to wait for the right for waves and for the right wave direction and the right wind direction. But in freestyle, it doesn't matter at all. You just all you need is wind and water. So that's, yeah. that's what I love about it. Well, that, that kind of boils it down to the, the most simple. Elements possible. Yeah, the most simple elements possible for for windsurfing, at least, you know. Right. So when you were talking about packing sails, like when you're talking about going to Brazil, um, one one thing that's interesting is, you know, for for us, for guys like me who go out and try to windsurf as often as we can, and we're not competing, obviously, um, we can't justify a, a sail quiver with like 0.2 meter steps in between each sail, yeah. right? And so what we've learned to do, honestly, is try to maximize the tuning capabilities of the sail so that we can pick a sail and then we can rig it in a particular way so that we can either, um, we can get more wind out of the sail or less wind out of the sail right through downhaul and outhaul and so on. And, and sail manufacturers really kind of, sell this as a, a benefit when they talk about the, the wind range of a sail. Yeah. For guys at your level, if you're packing, you know, like a 4.2 and a 4.5 or a 4.2 and a 4.4 or something like that, obviously there's a difference there. Um, t- tell us a little bit about, 
just kind of what goes through your head, you know, when you're trying to make a 0.2 meter decision between one sale and another? Well, like you said, I'm I'm a little bit spoiled because I have the gear that I want, so I have I can have a 0.2 or 0.3 meter difference from one size sale to the next. And the, the beauty of that is I can choose I can choose my sale and and uh, I'm almost never wrong because my sale sizes are close enough together that I'm almost never wrong. And uh, I I like to use my sales in in various wind ranges. I like to use them. Uh, often really overpowered, I like to use them underpowered. That's also a great thing, a great aspect, a uh, benefit of having being on sale work so that the, the sales, the revolutions that I use are, are, have a huge wind rate. So it's not necessary to have a quiver like mine. But, uh, I have the, you know, I have the opportunity to have a quiver like that and so I use it. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's that's great. a little bit ridiculous. It would seem, Unnecessary if I thought about it 10 years ago, but, um, and it, it, it is not necessary, but, you know, it's a luxury that, uh, that I enjoy. And, I, but obviously, you, you know, and I understand that. I get it. I mean, you're, you're a sponsor sale, you're a professional, and you should have the best gear that's available, and you should be able to dial it in uh, yeah. as precisely as you want. I mean, that, we, yeah, I completely understand that. Aspect, and the important part of that is that um, I'm into, I do a lot of the development with uh, with Bruce Peters and the Sailbirds. Oh, the, cool! The okay. So, so it's really important that I know every every sail size in that range. If I were to only use certain sizes from the whole range, then I would only be able to give feedback and to improve the sizes that I'm using. So, of course, you can extrapolate from one size to the other, but it is better if, if me, the rider, is is using every single size in that range. Right. No, that's a good point. Particularly as a sale designer, that makes sense because it doesn't just scale up, right? I think there's um, nuances in the design where you can't just take a four two and scale it up to a five two. There's you no, have to find the yeah. five two. You have different masks to, to play with. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of variables, and and the best way to to figure them out is to to know the gear really well and to so you can you can feel every single nuance every time you're using that gear. So if you're out sailing, let's say, and you're just you're just sailing um, on your own, out of competition, just like free sailing, and you and you and you have your four or four in your car, back in the parking lot, and you're out in your four two, and and uh, and the wind drops just slightly. Do you go in and, and re-rig the four four, or do you just stay out on the four two? No, I'll probably stay out on the same sail the whole day. Yeah. Once okay. I once I choose a sail, I I tend to stay on it the whole time, even if I'm. A bit underpowered or a bit overpowered. It's uh, I just stay on the same thing. Well, we've I've I've met a lot of windsurfers that are very technical people, right? Particularly yeah. in Europe, and I think I think and maybe it comes down to personality type, right? So maybe the more A type people are going to say, no, 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 I want to be just dialed in perfectly. So I'm going to go in and I'm going to take the time to to change sails right now. Whereas other yeah. other people might be okay on what they're on. Um, but I think it just, it, again, it just speaks to kind of the wind range that's available in sales today and realizing that, you know, as I do more and more sailing personally, I feel like I need fewer and fewer sales. Um, yeah, you, as you improve, you can, you can handle more wind range with your sails also. You're, not only are you more efficient in lighter winds, but you're also able to handle it in stronger winds. Right. You're comfortable going out a little overpowered and, and particularly yeah. like in environments where we sail. So on Lake Champlain, we have to deal with, in some areas, you know, pretty large shadows. And, 
you know, if, if you, if you're, if you're trying to judge the wind strength from, from the parking lot and you're looking past a big shadow and you're trying to estimate how much wind there is and you think about, you know, you, you really want to get it right from the parking lot because you don't want to have to get out there, get past the, you know, slog past the shadow only to get out to the wind line and realize that you're grossly underpowered or grossly overpowered. You know, you're really trying to yeah. obviously get that right. Um, but I think there's, uh, just, just having, having the range in these sales allows you to be a little bit wrong, uh, more often and still, and still be fine once you're out there. And still enjoy the day, right? That's, that's yeah. pretty key too. You know, you, yeah. you don't want to spend time rigging and de-rigging and figuring out which one's the right size. You just, you just want to get it right the first time and then, and then spend the rest of the day on the water enjoying it. Exactly. Um, tell us a little bit about what it's like being over in Europe during uh, the PWA tour. Um, uh, we, we were kind of thinking about, uh, you know, most of the people who are competing are all from Europe, right? If you look at the, the list of competitors and the athletes who are on the PWA. There, there are a lot of Europeans, yeah, but there's a, most, of the, most of the contests are in Europe, so that attracts a lot of Europeans. Um, there are a few. There were a few Americans competing. There was Brian Metcalf, Perez, Tyson Four. They had a few years on the on the PWA. Um, this year, in the last few years, there was there's a few international guys. So there's Scorito Estrado, the Venezuelan, who's who's the world champion this year. There are uh, a few guys from Bonaire, the France brothers, Kirito, right. and uh, and a few others. Amado Breeze, right? There are there are a couple of Brazilians competing. There's a Japanese guy competing. There's me from Canada. There's even a Canadian guy. Right there. <laughs> so, uh, so it's it's a very international crew, and it's very cool to see everybody come together for those uh, for those events. You know, you get the you get the world's best windsurfers from from every corner of the world coming together into it's the events happen in Europe, but yeah, they, people come from all over the world to to go compete against the world's best. So well, that's uh, that's a really cool aspect of it. Yeah, and I mean, to your point, a lot of these guys may, like, you may, you may come from Canada, but you don't spend any time there. Yeah, right? a lot of these guys, they, uh, they do travel quite a bit for, for windsurfing. So the Europeans travel quite a bit for windsurfing. Um, you know, Goito Stretto, he lives in El Yaque on Isla Margarita, which is one of the, one of the best places for windsurfing in the world. And, uh, and on top of that, he does travel also. I know when I get to Brazil, he's going to be there too, so. Um, a cool, a cool part of it is that all these competitors are actually your really close friends, and right. uh, and we're all from different countries, we're from different cultures, but our passion is windsurfing, and we we all go. Not, not only do we all see each other at these competitions, but then we also see each other at training. So when I go to Brazil, I'm going to see maybe you know a third or half of the PWA World Tour freestyle fleet down there training and working to get better and. And then when I go to Cape Town in the in the New Year, it's going to be you know maybe some more Europeans and and uh, but but another half of the uh, freestyle fleet is going to be in Cape Town training there. So it's, uh, not only do you see all those guys and live with them at the competitions, but you also see and live with them at the at all these other spots. So it's it's kind of like a really cool group of friends that you see and meet in all these different countries all around the world. And then of course you have to compete against them. <laughs> Right, but it, but it's it's gotta be nice that it's a really tight community and that everybody really enjoys spending time with each other as well, right? Yeah, it it is very nice from that from that point of view. Yeah. 
Wow. I mean, that makes it really kind of special. It's, it's, uh, it's a brother and sisterhood of, of people who are really passionate about windsurfing. And that's what makes it work so well. Yeah. It's the passion for windsurfing that, that connects us all. And that's, uh, that's what I love about, about traveling with, with, with all those guys. How many of those guys spend time kiting? Um, uh, you mean a lot of time kiting? I think everybody is, Everybody on the on the PW freestyle tour is able to kite or has kited before, but uh, none of them spend a lot of time kiting. Right, I mean, Goito's Goito's really good though. Well, to your point, they have to spend time kind of windsurfing because they got to keep progressing and improving their skills and stuff, right? But is there? I'm just I'm just curious to know if there's any kind of crossover. Not maybe not competing, but people who certainly crossover and enjoy kiting, or is it? Like what's the? There's definitely some crossover. There are there are definitely guys that you know say it's light wind day. They'll go they'll ask a kite surfer or a friend of theirs like, hey, let me take the kite out for a bit or something like that. But but they don't spend uh, any significant amount of time. But uh, but like I said, Goito's uh, actually uh, I think he can. He, he's like a pro level kite surfer. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's guys and there's like these water athlete people like Kai Lenny, who's absolutely incredible in in almost any water sport, right? It doesn't even matter. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, everybody spends so much time at the beach and, and the windy spots that it's, it's natural to go try other things also and to, and to, you know, to do other sports besides windsurfing. You can't, you can't be a hundred percent focused on windsurfing. It's, it's pretty key to, to distract yourself with, with something else. And how's the sort of animosity towards uh, towards kiters and windsurfers these days? Um, as far as I see, everybody gets along just fine. Right. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I we all. I think we all share very similar passions. We we all love the sports, and uh, and we all love going to the beach and chasing wind and being in warm places. So it's there's you know there there is a bit of uh, there's always a little bit of friction between the two because. You know, we share the same space on the water, but in the end, it's we're both passionate about the same about the same the same love for the sport. So we each love a sport, and and uh, we go hang out at the beach and go in the water when it's windy and, and look for the same weather. And that's uh, I think it's actually we're really closely connected. Right, you're all you're you're yeah. Both groups are obviously always in the same places. They're looking for the same thing. And, you know, I think there's a, a, a large percentage of the kiting community that initially um, fell in love with the wind through windsurfing, you know, and then maybe yeah. they just progressed. And some of them are still doing both or whatever, or they progressed to kiting. But, you know, they're still in the same, they're still going to the same destinations. They're still going to all the same places that you've, that you've mentioned. Yeah, and, so, yeah and, they, and they have the same frame of mind. They, they check the forecast when it's good. They go to the beach and they go kite surf or windsurf, you know, and, and they do it for fun. So, so what 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 kind of stuff do you so when you're not windsurfing, what other what's what sort of your backup or other kind of favorite water sports do you like to enjoy? Um, I take my uh, stand-up paddle board down to Brazil, so I go. Uh, there are some good waves there often in the mornings. So before the wind picks up, I'll go I'll go sub surfing there. Uh, when I'm at home here, I I go mountain biking whenever I can. And uh, I try to play some tennis also. I really enjoy that. If it's if it's winter time, I'll do some squash. 
or, or go skiing. I got a ski trip planned with my brothers to Revelstoke, BC, so hopefully we're going to get some, some good powder out there in the wintertime. And uh, yeah, those are pretty much all my non-windsurfing activities. <laughs> do you do you guys do any like um, ice sailing, anything like that in like colder weather? No, I don't. No, I I played around with some like some snow sailing, putting a sail on a, on a mountain board and things like that. But, uh, but when I was younger, I don't really play around with that much more. Okay. Sorry about that. The dog's going a little crazy. No, no problem. <laughs> it's, it's good. To, it's good to have some dogs around. <laughs> yeah, so it's always it's always nice. He's uh, he's really good at greeting me when I come back from fits. Yeah, they're always happy to see you. That's for sure. Yeah. Um. Cool, Phil. Well, uh, is is there anything else you want to cover? Anything else you want to mention or talk about? Um. No, I can. I guess I can invite uh, whoever's listening to check out my my website, which I redid earlier this year. That's philipsotishak.com or my sale number C A N minus nine dot com. I got a blog there that I update all the time, and uh, so if you're bored and want to see what's going on in my life, then check it out. <laughs> hey, even if you're not bored, I, I believe yeah. So obviously, I I, I, I recommend you, checking it out only if you're bored. But you know. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think it's great. I think you've done honestly a nice job. Um, yeah, we obviously spent some time on your site uh, earlier this week, making sure we weren't going to repeat ourselves with a lot of things that were already already covered, but. <laughs> uh, it's a nice job, and I mean, I I know that it's you know it's part of it's part of I guess you know it's part of your job, right? I mean, I think one of the challenges you guys have is obviously traveling and competing, but then also um, you know particularly in this age of social media and so forth. I mean, you guys produce a lot of content, and yeah, it sponsors a lot of content, so it's uh, it's definitely key to have have content up on your on your Instagram, on Facebook, and. You know, those are really not good places to write blog posts. So I li- I like to have the website with the with the blog that I update every couple of weeks with with what's going on. And so if you want like more of an inside scoop of what's been going on in, in my life the last two weeks, then you can definitely read that up on the blog. Well, it's nice because it's you know it's very personal and it's it, there there's it's also very genuine. You know, you can really get a sense of um you know you can you can like hear your voice in a lot of the stuff that's up there and and. It's it's nice to be able to contribute, you know, all of those experiences and be able to share all those experiences with, you know, the windsurfing community, because they're people are curious, you know, they want to know what that lifestyle is all about. So it's nice yeah, to see I, it. And I think it's it's nice to uh, it's nice to have an opportunity to to explain it to people who will read the blog because you know a picture I can put up an action picture of me windsurfing in, in Germany and say where I finished an event, but that's not you know that's not the whole story. Exactly. No, and, and I mean it, it's helpful to see it from like your perspective too. I mean, it's gonna your your personal experience is gonna is gonna come out, you know, versus uh, you know somebody who's just covering the event from a more general kind of perspective. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Phil, for taking the time to talk to Thank us you, this Russ. morning. Thanks for, uh, thanks for uh, interviewing me. Oh, it's our it's our pleasure. We are uh, we're avid windsurfing fans down here, and um, you know we uh, we we share that same passion for the sport. We're way behind you in terms of skill set, but we're uh, no but no. There, it's, it's, but all <laughs> it's all about having fun, exactly. You know, I'm trying to outfun anybody who's with me every time I'm out on the water. So 
Exactly. That's, that's, that's the goal. That's how you win. That's how you win. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing you again soon. Um, it was uh, definitely fun to, to run into you over the uh, a few times over the past year. We'll be back in yeah, Hatteras. It is always a pleasure to run into you. It, so, it, it, uh, let's get in touch and, uh, and hopefully we can uh, hopefully we'll see each other somewhere somewhere windy and soon. Uh, looking forward to that. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Russ. All right. Bye-bye. Take care.